welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown, and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. To learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is part of a new sermon series called Jesus, Your Anchor in Anxiety, Five Weeks in the Book of Philippians. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Please pray for me as I pray for you as we unlock God's word. Loving Lord God, we thank and praise you for your goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we can meet together in peace and in harmony without the fear of persecution. But Lord, thank you for the example of Paul and for countless other Christians who've suffered for their faith and have shown us that we can have joy even through suffering. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, Nelson Mandela um, spent 28 years of his life in prison. The story is told that after he was released from prison and became South Africa's first black president, he was having lunch surrounded by his bodyguards. He noticed at another table a man who he recognised. And he said to his bodyguards, can you go over to that man and invite him to have lunch with us? The man accepted the invitation, uh, but as he sat with Mandela and his bodyguards having lunch, they were rejoicing and they were having a great time and they were joking. But this man was shaking and he looked pale the whole time. He didn't say a word and finally the man thanked the president for his kindness He got up and he left. The bodyguards thought, well, something was obviously fishy. And so they thought perhaps the man was sick. But Mandela responded, that man was my former jailer. He inflicted torture and suffering on me throughout the time I was in jail. I think perhaps he thought I was going to get my revenge today. Nelson Mandela is probably the best example in recent history of how we can have joy even through suffering. How we can have joy despite suffering. Today we're going to be thinking about someone else who found joy in jail and who, like Mandela, brought a message of hope and change for our world. So we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, 12 to 18, which Tamlin just read. And we're going to see that being in prison is no obstacle to joy because the gospel is still able to be preached. Our reading today begins in Philippians 1, verse 12, which says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now you might be asking, well, what, what has happened to Paul? Well, as we saw last week, and as Zoe talked about in our kids' talk, Paul met Jesus um, shortly after he died and rose again, and his life was changed in a moment. Paul went from someone who hated Christians and tried to destroy Christianity to preaching Jesus, the true ruler of the world. And this was a message that landed him in jail and got him sent to Rome. Now, this may have seemed like the worst thing that could possibly happen to Paul. And perhaps the Philippians were thinking this way. He could no longer preach publicly 
and he could no longer plant churches as he travelled to Rome in chains. In Rome, he was guarded by the Roman imperial guard. Big, buffy, muscly men who were also super smart. They were the cream of the crop and they would never, ever let him go. There was a different set of guards. Sometimes they were chained physically to Paul and they would take four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. Now, you'd think this sort of suffering would have led Paul to abandon his mission or possibly to give up on God. But instead of giving up, Paul begins writing letters to his friends and shares his love with Jesus with his guards. He can't go anywhere, but his letters can. He can't speak publicly about Jesus, but he's got a captive audience of two highly intelligent and influential guards every four hours, 24 hours a day. And they would have changed the guard every single time. So Paul would have met, um, uh, what's that, 24 hours a day, six, six sets of guards, 12 new guards every single day of his imprisonment. Hundreds of guards would have heard the gospel. And so Paul writes, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Some of Paul's jailers are starting to follow Jesus. And the Christians in Rome are hearing about this and they're becoming more bold in their proclamation of the gospel too. Now, if someone wanted to stop Paul, it's backfired. And he's rejoicing that while prison wasn't his plan, God is using it to change lives. The other thing that Paul is suffering is an attack on his reputation. Now, while Paul was in jail, leaders in Philippi had swooped in. Some preachers in Philippi had swooped in and taken advantage of his time in jail. Paul writes that these people preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up for trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, there's some debate over who exactly these people were, but it's clear that, one, they're preaching Christ. So they're preaching the truth about Jesus rather than about lies. And two, their motives are wrong. They're doing what they're doing for themselves rather than for God. Now, Paul could have seen this as a disaster, but again, he's found joy in suffering. So it's water for a duck's back. Paul writes, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I do what? I rejoice. While these preachers might have had wrong motives, he can rejoice because Christ is being preached. So what they hate me, says Paul. If they're telling people about Jesus, it's good news. Friends, this passage has an important application, particularly for Anglicans today. We often hear about priests and Christian leaders whose private sins become public. When this happens... 
questions come. And people think, well, if I sat under this person's teaching, if I was baptized or confirmed by this person, if I grew in faith during this person's ministry, doesn't mean that my faith is perhaps deficient somehow or lacking. Paul says no to this. If someone preaches the truth, even if their motives are false, then the fruit of their preaching is still good. This truth is so important. It's so important that in the 1600s, when Anglican theologians wrote the 39 Articles of Faith, a summary of what Anglicans believe, the 26th article revolved around the fact that neither the sacraments nor the ministry of what they called at the time evil men were invalid, even if they were preaching Christ for themselves rather than for God. So as Paul is sitting in prison, he's suffering, not only in prison, but he's suffering this attack on his integrity. But he doesn't care because he's seeing the gospel advance. And he talks about, in verses 18 to 26, how about a life, a life of Christ is a life for others. Paul is facing the death penalty And he's facing it on false charges. But this again won't rob him of his joy. Jesus was killed for his message. And Paul knows that if he's preaching Christ, the same might happen to him. Here we see how meeting Jesus changed Paul's life, but also it changed the way he thought about life. For Paul, his life is not his own. Instead, everything he has belongs to Christ, and he's laying it all down. Friends, this realization that our lives are not our own is vital if we're to find joy in suffering. If we live for our own comfort, then every threat to our comfort and happiness must be eliminated at all costs. Unfortunately, when we think this way, the people in our lives quickly become the threat. When we lay our lives down, when we recognize that our lives are not our own, but part of a bigger whole, then relationships stop becoming a transaction designed to make me happy and become the building blocks of our lives. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. (laughs) I think I'm going to get happiness for an hour this afternoon, perhaps. Um, If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone. Living for myself makes sense if we're accidents of chemistry and biology. But if God is real and life has a purpose beyond our heartbeats, then laying your life down for Christ in service is the best decision you'll ever make. From the outside, Paul's life may have looked stuffed. If he lives, he'll stay in prison. And if he survives, he might get to go and preach elsewhere, but he'll probably get rejected and beaten up and then sent back to prison. 
On the other hand, he's facing the death penalty, so he might get executed. We might see Paul's life as the choice between two sufferings. But Paul doesn't see it that way. Instead, he writes, I'm waiting eagerly and full of hope because nothing is going to put me to shame. I'm going to be bold and outspoken now as always. And the king is going to gain a great reputation through my body, whether in life or in death. You see, for me, to live means the Messiah. To die means to make a prophet. That's um, Philippians 1, 20-22. And it's from uh, N.T. Wright's For Everyone translation, um, which I think puts it really beautifully. Rather than the choice between two sufferings, Paul is torn between two joys. If he lives, he can keep preaching the gospel and serving God's church. If he dies, he will wake up in the presence of his Savior. And that's a better option. But either way, Paul wins because God wins. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's a dangerous idea in 2020. If this year has highlighted anything for me, it's just how anxious we are about death. We're terrified of viral outbreak, of terrorism, of cultural Marxism, so much so that our fear of death means that in some cases we stop living. We don't go out of our houses. We live in constant anxiety. And life as we know it, is compromised. But friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to fear death. For you, death is a promotion to glory. If you follow Jesus and put your life in his hands, then you have absolute security. If you are in Christ then you can rejoice with Paul and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you're not a Christian this morning, then I'd love to speak with you after the service today and find out what's keeping you from this joy, what's keeping you from Christ. In verses 27 to 30, Paul finishes off the chapter And he shows us that striving together, despite suffering, includes working together. Some might ask, is following Jesus just about eternal life insurance? And Paul answers, no. If we follow Jesus, then we're called to strive together with Jesus, working and witnessing together. He writes in verse 27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether things are going well or whether we're struggling, the Bible tells us to live in response to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did in his life and accomplished through his death and resurrection. In public and in private, we want to make our lives reflect what God has done for us. Are you caring for a friend or relative who is sick or in need? This reflects the way that Jesus cares for his people. Do you work honestly and diligently in your job? 
This brings glory to God and reflects the hope that you have. Do you treat strangers and the people you love with care, dignity, and respect? This is part of living in a manner worthy of the gospel. We're encouraged at the end of verse 27 to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. When Paul says stand firm, he's using a word picture of a soldier standing shoulder to shoulder with his mates. You defend the flank of the person next to you and they will have your back too. This is the type of unity we're called to in the church. Or if you watch rugby, you see the front of the scrum, (laughs) the front row, they bind together and they're going to push together. That's the vision that Paul has for his church. That's the vision that God has for us. This is why following Jesus is about a relationship with God, my vertical relationship with God, but it's also about our horizontal relationship with each other. We work together alongside our sisters and brothers to do Christ's work in our world. Shoulder to shoulder, we serve together, and we don't need to fear those who oppose us because they can't touch our eternal security in Christ. As we work together, we witness together. Paul says in verse 28, This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. When Christians suffer together for the gospel, we show the world how good Jesus is. Remember, Paul is sitting in a Roman jail, and many think the boot of the empire is on his neck. But Paul's saying, mate, you need to save yourself. Because one day, you'll meet with God. And if you live your life ignoring him, or worse, opposing him, then it's not, you, not me who will be destroyed. It's you. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. When the church works together, we witness together to this world that what we so often live for in the world is not worth living for because it's perishing. It will be destroyed. This is why big, strong, and smart soldiers who were chained to a crazy man who couldn't stop talking about Jesus were becoming Christians. They could see that the world around them was in deep, deep trouble. And they came to realize that Jesus had the answers. The answers to the questions that they were asking themselves. These soldiers, in turn, took the faith into Caesar's household. They were part of the palace guard after all. In Philippians 4.22, Paul writes, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Church historians tell us that Christianity attracted the poor in Rome because Christians cared for them, but it also attracted the rich because it spoke into the anxieties of the rich. Paul never made it into Caesar's household 
But historians tell us that Caesar's wife and some of his kids became Christians, which really annoyed the emperor. The way Paul responded to suffering made such an impact on the people around him that they were drawn to Christ. Friends, when we work together and when we suffer together for the gospel, we witness to God's love. Jesus isn't asking you to follow him because it's safe. He calls you to follow him because it's worth it. As we discover joy in suffering, we witness to Jesus who suffered for us. Paul writes in verses 29 to 30, For it has been granted, whoopsie, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to suffer, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. For you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Friends, suffering for Christ is an honor. It's a gift from God, not because God is a masochist, but because we know that God can bring about goodness out of any and every situation. Romans 5 says it like this. We boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Friends, whatever 2020 has taken away from you, whatever you've suffered in life, God can restore tenfold. Jesus, who suffered for you, is suffering with you. And God will use your sufferings for the good of others around you and for his glory. God works through our suffering to redeem the world. Whatever happens in life, we can rest assured that with Jesus as our anchor, we have nothing to fear. Follow Jesus, and he will show you how to find joy despite suffering. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.